Amen. Well, good morning to each of you. We're excited to be here in the house of the Lord on today. Amen. Amen. Listen, with that being said, grab your Bibles real quickly. You don't have to stand. You can remain seated. Grab your Bibles and go with me uh, to the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to read one verse for you today, but we're going to be dealing with that chapter in its entirety. Can you pray with me, uh, repeating after me and say, Father God, I'm here today seeking a word from you. So open my ears that I can hear. Touch my heart so that I will feel. And renew in me a right mind so that I will do. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, Amen. Glory and honor to God this day. Excited to be here. Excited to be still in this series entitled Get Serious, Get Serious, which is a year-long series series that deals with different things that we need to get serious about in our life, uh, not only in the church, but outside of the church so that we can reach a level of success that God has for us. Amen. And so we're going to move on to week three as we've been talking about get serious about sacrifice. And we find ourselves in the book of Ruth. I know Ruth is an unusual book to talk about sacrifice. Most people growing up in church uh, look at Ruth as a story of love, her finding her Boaz, her finding her man. And that is a great story. That's a great uh, something that we need to understand with the text. But I believe there's another lesson, another, another hidden gem in this book that can teach us how she got to the point where she received her blessing, where she received her man, where she received what was for her. Amen. And I believe believe that begins with sacrifice. So go with me to Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to read just one verse, and we'll deal with it as an entirety. Verse 18 is what I want to read to you. So when you got it, say, I got it. All right, this is what it says. This is one simple sentence, one simple statement, but I believe that it encompasses everything that we're going to talk about today. Uh, And this is where it says, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. I want to read that one more time. When she saw she was Naomi, when she saw that she, when that's the second she is Ruth, when, she, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she, Naomi, said it, said nothing to her anymore. And so as we move into week three about getting serious about our sacrifice, I want us to understand the process of of sacrificing. I want us to understand how we're supposed to sacrifice, and as a result of our sacrifice, how do we receive what God has for us? And so if we had to tag this message with a subtitle today, I would simply say, let them know you're serious. Let them know you're serious. Amen? Listen, uh, everything has a process. Uh, Mike makes this great cake that I call a pike. It's this mixture of a cake and a pie. I I don't understand how he makes it, but there is a unique process that he goes through to make this cake. I I know the ingredients that I see on the top. I know how it makes my taste buds feel and how it makes my my tummy full. I, I understand all of those great things about this cake that Mike makes, but I don't know the process of how Mike makes this cake. So as a result of me not knowing the process of how Mike makes this cake, guess what I have to do? Every time I want a pike, every time I want this pie slash cake mixture that Mike makes, I have to go to Mike and ask Mike, hey, can you make this cake for me? Why? Because I don't know the process, therefore, I can never achieve the results. I want it, but the fact that I don't know how to make it, 
I can't have it on my own. I have to go to and through someone that knows the process so that I can receive what I want. Today, I want us to get to the point of understanding the process of what it means to sacrifice. I don't want people walking around and depending and living life expecting to receive something off of someone else's blessing. I don't want people going through life and saying the only way that I can inherit what God has to me is if I'm connected to somebody that's connected to God. I want to make sure that each of us understand the process of what it means to sacrifice. We've already spent one week earlier in this month dealing with understanding the purpose. Why do we sacrifice? I know pastors, I know preachers, I know teachers, they say you sacrifice to keep the church lights on. You sacrifice because God says given it shall be given back unto you. Good measures pressed down, shaken together and running over. And all of those are good reasons to make sacrifice. However, when God asks us to sacrifice, our sacrifice is not limited to financial giving. Sacrifice is not limited to financial giving because your true sacrifice is your entire life. Giving is just a form of your sacrifice, but your life is, should be a living, walking example of what it is to sacrifice. Christ gave his life for us, therefore we should give our life for him. Christ died so that we could live, and as a result of us living everything that we do, we should live, eat, and breathe Jesus Christ in our day-to-day life. So why is the real reason that God wanted us to sacrifice? His real reason wasn't for us to sacrifice so that we can get something back. After all, he gave us everything. He says that we have dominion and rule over everything. So it's okay to give to expect to receive, but that's not what God had in mind when he originally said that man should give unto him. When we look in Genesis, we talked about it, Cain and Abel, the first offering that was released, the purpose of God asking man to give in that text was simply so that man could achieve self-control over his life. We have to understand when we make a conscious decision to give, it empowers us to have control over how we live. So as a man think it, and the Bible says, so is he. We have to get to that point in our lives that we understand that the reason God wanted us to give in the first place for us to take back the power that the enemy had stole from us, for us to have back control of our lives so that we can empower ourselves, so that bills don't stress us because we know that God is our provider, so that time doesn't bother us because we know that God is the author of time. God knows exactly what he has for me. And so therefore, when God says that I need you to sacrifice for me, it's a matter of him saying that I need you to understand I don't want you to serve me because I make you serve me. I want you to serve me and honor me because you want to serve me and honor me. That is self-control, making a mental decision that has a physical impact on your life because of what you've chose to do. So why do we sacrifice? We do not sacrifice just to get back. We do not sacrifice just to keep the lights on. We sacrifice because we love and honor God. That is the purpose of sacrificing. Then we went on to week two. Not only did we want to understand the purpose of sacrificing, last week we had to develop and understand the problem with sacrificing. Why is it so hard for us as human beings, knowing that God gives us the breath that we breathe, knowing that it was Jesus Christ that died on the cross for our sins so that we can have everlasting life, knowing all of these things, why is it still so hard for us to give and sacrifice to God in the manner that God is expecting. 
Why is it such an issue? And we learned last week that it's a problem that we have an issue with fear of failure. When we talk about fear of failure, it's the fact that we believe more of what we see than what? What he says. We believe that I would rather take care of what I have right now. I got money in my hands, so I'm going to make sure I pay the light bill. Forget the fact that God says, and trust me with your tithes and your offering. We don't want to believe that the fact that God says, test me, and why watch when I open up the windows of blessing. We don't want to believe the fact that God says, give and it shall be given back unto you. Good measures, pressed down, shaken together, shall men give into your bosoms. We say, God, I hear what you're saying, but right now I have to deal with what I see. And so this the issue with why we fail to sacrifice in the manner of why God asks us to sacrifice is because of the simple fact that we have an issue with our fear overcoming our faith. When you take the time to invest in more of what you see instead of what he says, you put yourself in a position where you're saying, my fear has more power over me than my faith. This is the problem why many of us fail to sacrifice because we're so afraid of what would happen if we said yes to God and no to ourselves. If we said yes to God and no to the world. We're so fearful of what would take place that every time it comes, not just your tithing and offering, but in your relationships with individuals, with you serving in the church, with you giving time, with you being faithful and consistent, with you talking about Jesus amongst people that don't know Christ. We're so scared to sacrifice because we're worried about what people are going to say. Fear is overcoming our faith. And so when we get to understanding that our problem is a matter of fear overcoming faith, us believing more of what we see versus what he says, we have to challenge ourselves to take back our self-control because after all, the purpose of sacrificing is for us to establish self-control, rule and reign over the enemy. And then as a result of us taking back our self-control, we have to remember that God is not the author of fear. And as a result of God not being the author of fear, then there's no reason we that uh, that which was created in his image should exist and live in fear. The minute that you realize that God is God, the minute that you realize that God is a provider, that he is a redeemer, that he is a way maker, that he is a healer, then it doesn't matter what you're going through in life. It will not have an impact on you to shift you and move you out of your position of where God has asked you to be. This is what we have to get to understanding, that our lives, what we do, how we live, is a reflection of our love and our honor for God. This is why we should be willing to sacrifice for God, not for man, but we should be willing to give everything that we have for God. And so we've talked about, the week before, we talked about uh, what is the purpose of giving, uh, of sacrifice, and we've talked about what is the problem with sacrifice. And so today, we're going to understand the process of sacrificing. As I said before, I can't expect people to do what they don't know how to do. Everything has training. You, you go through OJT at work. That's on-the-job training. Uh, when you're a baby and you want to learn to walk, you're watching somebody. Your parents are holding your hands, playing with you, guiding you, showing you the steps. Everything has to go through training. And what I can't help but to believe as a church, as a pastor, as a leader, we expect people to come to church and just do what God has said to do. But the fact of the matter is a church is not only the place of encouragement, but the, the church is the place where people are trained. 
The church is the place where people are trained, but in order for people to be trained, I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying here. The pastor first has to stop pushing his own agenda and begin to push God's agenda. God's agenda is for his people to be the light of the world. God's agenda is for his people to be all that he's created them to be, to return back to where he's asked them to be. That's God's agenda. God's agenda is not worrying about how big your church gets. Can I be honest today? That's not his agenda. God's agenda is not worrying about uh, 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 how much money the pastor is working. That's not, God making, that's not God's agenda. God's agenda is kingdom building. And I believe that if we focus on God's agenda first, then our agenda will naturally come to fruition as a result of us honoring God and doing what God asked us to do. So we find ourselves today trying to understand the process of sacrifice. How is it that I'm supposed to sacrifice? And remember, sacrifice is not just about giving money. Sacrifice is about giving your life. Can I tell you something? If you get to a point in your life where you can give God all of you, your heart, your mind, your money will follow. Can I get an amen on that? If you can give God all of who you are, if you can give God you, then everything else will fall into place. I, I am blessed to be married to my wife. We are going on celebrating 11 years this March. Amen. We're going on celebrating 11 years this March. My middle school sweetheart, I tell people to joke all the time that back in middle school, uh, God used me as a prophet back then, didn't even know it. I, I, I told her back then that I was going to marry her. And, and then I had to let her go out and see that I was the best thing she ever had in order for her to come back. But, but, but yet and still, after all these years, we, we are together. We've been married now going on 11 years, 11 years. I, I've, I've dedicated myself, gave myself to my wife for 11 years. I want to make sure that you understand something because in a true union, when you commit yourself to something, what's yours is hers. What's hers is yours. Uh, I don't go home and say, this is my house. This is our house. And, and, and the fact of the matter, what we do in this house affects all of us. And so we have to ask ourselves in our marriage unit and our marriage union with God, is, my, is it my life or our life? Are we doing what he's asking us to do? Are we living in the manner that he's asking us to do? What is the process of sacrifice? I love Ruth. I love Ruth. I love the fact that everybody knows that Ruth goes and gets her Boaz. I, I love the fact that everybody understands that there was a kins, kinsman redeemer, that there was a man waiting on her. I love the, the love story that's caught up in the book of Ruth, but I think sometimes we get so caught up in her receiving her man that we forget how she got him. We forget how she got him, and that's what I want to do today. See, we just talked about how Naomi uh, seen that, that Ruth was serious, and as a result of Ruth being serious, she left her alone. But there's some stuff that if you have never read Ruth chapter 1 that you may have missed out on and you didn't know. So let me summarize that text so that I can teach you the lesson on today. In Ruth chapter 1, what happens is, first of all, you need to know that uh, Naomi was married to a man. Naomi came from Judah. She came from Judah, and as a result of that, she was married to an individual, and there was a drought in Judah. There was a drought in Judah, Naomi and her husband had two boys. They had two boys. There was a drought. And so as a result of it, they left there and went to a place called Moab. They went to a place called Moab. They were not the same uh, believers. They did not have the same faith. They did not walk in the same lifestyle. But there was a drought. They needed to get somewhere where there was food. So they went down to a place called Moab. When they got there, Naomi's two sons married two Moabite women. 
One of them named was Ruth, which we all know, and the other one named was Orpah. They, they married two Moabite women. In this time, they were living there. Everything was going good. Everything was going great. However, Naomi's husband died. Naomi's husband died, and if that wasn't bad enough, some time had passed, and then her two sons died. And so now, in a time where the man was taking care of the woman, where women were defined by their man, where it was not as good to be a widow in those times when you didn't have anybody to take care of you, there are now not one widow, but three widows that are needing someone to take care of them. And the problem is that there were no one there to take care of them. You had Naomi, the mother-in-law. You had the two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. And so Naomi gets a revelation that times have changed back in our home country. And as a result of it, she says to the girls, hey, I'm going back home because I believe that there's provisions there for the people of God. I I believe that the drought is over. There's food waiting on us. And and we're going to head back That way, the Bible says that the two girls said, great, you going, we going with you. They got up and they began to head the distance and something happened along the way that Naomi had a revelation. She says, I don't know why y'all are coming with me because the fact of the matter is I'm too old and I don't have a husband. I I can't bear a child so that one of y'all can marry. There's nobody available for you guys. Uh, as you make this journey with me. And so what I, I need you to do, I need you to turn around and go back. Go back to Moab because that's where you're from. Find somebody else to marry so that you, in your youth, in your young age, you can have a healthy, productive life. They said, no, no, we're not, we're not turning back. We're going to go with you. And, 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 and then Ruth, I mean, Naomi reminded them, listen, I cannot give you a child. I can't give you a child. And something happened. Orpah, one of the girls, she had an understanding that, you know what, you're right. And as a result of that, she went back. She cried, she wept, her heart was broken. But she went back to Moab because she, she felt like Naomi was right. Then Ruth did something different. Ruth clinged to her, the Bible says. That's what the text says. Ruth clinged to Naomi. She told Naomi, I don't care what you say, what you do. If you go, I'm going. Your God is going to be my God. Whatever they do to you, they can do to me. And if God chooses to put you to death, so be it. Let him put me to death. She was so sold out that Naomi says, listen, I see that you're serious about this thing. And as a result of it, come with me. We know that Ruth later on in chapter 4 marries Boaz, but what does she do in chapter 1 that puts her in the right position to receive what God has promised for her later? What does she do in chapter 1? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. There's three things that I believe that you'll find in the text that we're going to deal with today that uh, Ruth does, that each of us should uh, do, and the relate to how we sacrifice. These three things are, write them down if you get a chance, put them in your notes section. They are connect, commit, 
and contribute. These are the three things that I expect for us to learn today, that we should be willing to connect, that we should be willing to commit, and we should be willing to contribute. If you really want to understand the process of sacrificing, you have to learn that you have to be willing to connect, you have to be willing to commit, and you have to be willing to contribute. The first principle, be willing to connect. I want to make sure that you understand something. In order to truly connect, you have to first believe. In order to connect to it, you have to believe in it. If you don't believe in it, it's impossible for you to connect to it. I don't care how much Mountain Dew puts commercials on TV about how great they soda taste. I don't believe in Mountain Dew. I I was raised as a Coca-Cola young man, and as a result of it, I am committed and sold out to Coca-Cola. I don't think I've ever drunk Mountain Dew because of the fact I don't believe that Mountain Dew is what's for me. So therefore, I am not what? Connected to it. Why? Because I don't believe in it. My daddy raised me on Coca-Cola. I believe in it. It makes a good float with my vanilla ice cream. I know how great Coca-Cola is. And as a result of me believing in it, I what? Connect to it. That's what I keep in my refrigerator on a regular basis because I believe in it. You can't connect to it if you don't believe in it. So when you want to understand what is the true process of sacrificing, how do I get caught up and be be so excited and be a cheerful giver, to be cheerfully involved in sacrificing, you first have to be willing to connect. Well, pastor, what am I connecting to? I want to make sure that you understand something. You have to be willing to connect to two things. Two things you have to be willing to connect to. One is the visionary and one is the vision. You have to be willing to connect to the person and the purpose. I want to show you in the text. Look at verse 6 of Ruth chapter 1. Reading from the NASB, it says, Then she arose with her daughters, Naomi arose with her daughter-in-laws, that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in her land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she departed from the place where she was, and her two daughter-in-laws with her, and they went on the way and returned to a land of Judah. Now, catch this. In this text, we see two things. We see a visionary, and we see a vision. We see a connection made here. And I want to make sure that you understand, again, that you have to believe in it to connect to it. Ruth, Oprah, Orpha, and Naomi makes a move, a transition with Naomi. They make this move to leave what they have known as home to go to this strange land. Why? Because she says, there are provisions for my people. In order for them to start this journey, they had to believe in, one, Naomi. Two, they had to believe in what Naomi was saying. If they didn't believe that there was food there, why would they leave? And if Naomi was not somebody that they can believe in and trust in, why would they leave with her? They don't leave with just a total stranger. They leave with someone that they're connecting to. Why is this important? Because I believe that whether, whether it's a matter of our church growing, your marriage growing, your friendship growing, or your family growing, you have to reach a point where you are truly connected with whatever it is that you're claiming to be a part of. The Bible says that we should write the vision down and make it plain that people should see it. I want to make sure that you understand something. This vision does not only apply to this church. This 
This vision applies to your life. This vision applies to your marriage. So you have to ask yourself, if I'm not being successful and serious about my marriage, am I really connected to the person that I'm married with? And am I connected to the vision that they have for our marriage? If if I'm not connected with school right now, if school is not my thing, am am I connected with the place? Am I connected with the purpose? Why waste more time in your life trying to connect with something that you were not intended to connect with in the first place. This is what I need to understand. They were already doing bad. They had already lost their husbands. They were already having to fend for themselves. But what would have happened if they would have continued to waste time trying to connect with people that they were not meant to connect with in the first place. I can't help but to think about how many people talk about churches have hurt them, churches have left them down. The question is, did you connect with where God had told you to connect? And in doing so, did you do what God was asking you to do? Oftentimes where we feel heartache and pain is not the place where God has sent us to be. I know the Bible says those who suffer with me shall reign with me. I know that there will be hard times, but some of us have married people that God has never told us to marry. And we wonder why we're going through what we're going through in our lives. Some of us have taken jobs that God has never told us to take. It looks good. Can I tell you something that the enemy entices you just as much as God desires to lead you? The enemy tries to put things in front of you. And the problem is that sometimes when God is trying to make a new way for us to bring us back where he wants us to be, instead of saying, yes, Lord, I will follow you. I will sacrifice what I think is my happiness to go after what you have for me. Instead of us doing that, you know what we do? We will sit there and try to fight to make this thing happen. It reminds me when Isaiah was little, we had this little block game that had circles, triangles, squares, and you would put the blocks through the shape sizes. And I remember at one time, Isaiah had the triangle and literally trying to force it through the, 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 the circle, literally trying to bend it, twist it, shake it, lift it up, go from the bottom. And the thing is, that shape was not intended to go through that piece. That piece was not intended to go through there. You can't make things fit. You can't make things work. The truth of the matter is that God's way is easy. Yes, it may be a struggle because of the way the world looks at us, but true sacrifice just comes with you making a decision that I I believe in who you are and I believe what you're asking me to do. The reason why many of us can't make a sacrifice for God, believe this, I want to make sure that you understand, it doesn't start, your sacrifice for God doesn't start with you connecting with the church first. That's not what happens. Your sacrifice, your true sacrifice begins with you connecting with him first. So when you say, do I believe, am I connected? Do you believe in God? Are you truly connected to him? Do you believe in him? And do you believe in the vision that he has for your life? If you don't believe in God and you don't believe in the vision that he has for your life, then how can you really say that I'm willing to live in the manner that God has asked me to live? You can't begin to sacrifice for him until you believe in him so that you can commit to believing in what he's, his plan is for your life. If you fail to believe his plan for your life, then you're not even living. The fact of the matter is when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, it is him downloading his original plan back to us. It's not him recreating anything. It's him downloading (coughs) his original plan back into us. But we have to be willing to what? First, connect to him. 
Second principle that I believe we learned in the text, I believe if we look at verse 9 through 18, we'll come to understanding that not only do you have to connect, but you have to commit. <clears throat> you have to be willing to commit to God. In verse 9 through 18, this is where Naomi says to them after they've already began the journey, go back. She says to them, go back. I have nothing to offer you. There, there's no child left in my womb. I have no husband. I can't give birth. And even if I do give birth, are y'all going to sit around and wait for him to get grown so one of y'all can marry him? It doesn't work like that. Go back. And as a result of it, one of the girls says, you know what, Naomi, I love you, but you're right. Orpah says, I, I have to turn back right here. I have to go back. And like I told you before, Ruth clings to her and says, don't ask me to leave you again because I'm not leaving you. Ruth not only is connected to her, but she's committed to her. She's committed to the fact that I don't care what it is that you're going to say, I'm going to ride this thing out with. So why do we have to understand what do we need to understand about commitment? We need to understand that commitment is determined by your own personal conviction. Your commitment to whatever you're connected to is determined by your own personal conviction. Nobody can make you committed to Christ. Nobody can make you be committed to God. Nobody can make you be committed in a relationship. You have to have your own personal Conviction. It was so funny. The other day, I was at home, uh, and I, with me and my wife was laying in the bed, and I, I was like, I tried to delete my messenger, but some people I need to talk to connect me, connect with me through messenger. But messenger, and for y'all who know, man, they people be all up in your inbox. They ain't got no business in your inbox talking about stuff they ain't got no business talking to you about. And and I was in the bed, and I and some girl sent me a picture in in in, in my messenger inbox. I was right there with my baby, and I and I showed my baby, and I was like, you know, girl, I'm finna delete this person and block this person. And I did that out of my own. I do that every day. But right then I was like showing her and messing with her and we were just laughing about it. It's because of the fact that I have a personal conviction that I have to honor my wife. My wife is not standing over my shoulder holding my phone. Let me see it. Let me see it. Let me see it. There's a personal conviction in me that I am committed to her. I am connected to her. And as a result of it, I have to do what? Honor her. I have to remain committed to her. Our relationship is the same with God. God is not going to stand over your shoulder and say, you better do the right thing. That's not what he's here to do. That's why he gives you free will. That's why he wants you to have self-control. Because he wants you to get to a point where you're so committed to him that you're willing to make the right decision in the wrong places. That you're willing to say, you know what? I don't care what people say. I'm still going to do right by you. This is what happens in the text. This is what happens in the text when Ruth says to Naomi, she says to her, I'm not going nowhere. Look at verse 15 with me. Ruth chapter 1, verse 15. Then she said, this is Naomi speaking, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Verse 16. But Ruth said, do not urge me, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where, where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. 
and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you from me. I want you to see something in this text. Naomi, being, Ruth being the younger one, she doesn't say, Ruth, you do what I say, do you following me? Ruth says, I'm going to be willing to follow you. She is committed to following the leadership of Naomi back to this land. Oftentimes for us to reach a level of success, we have to be willing to commit to following someone's lead. And our main focus and our main understanding, the one lead that we should always follow is the lead of God. We should always follow God's lead. Let me tell you something. You won't marry the wrong person if you follow God's lead. You won't take the wrong job if you follow God's lead. You won't join the wrong church if you follow God's lead. But what's happening? Many of us are not following God's lead. We're taking the lead. We're taking the lead. We say we believe in you. I believe in the vision that you have for my life, but I want to take lead of it. But what happens is every time we try to take lead of it, we make mess of it. I was speaking to a young man just yesterday who shared with me how God has laid a vision on his life and, and he sees what God wants him to do. And he says that he feels like he's pulled in another direction, but if he goes there, he can make what God wants him to do happen. And he says, Pastor, what should I do? What should I do about this situation? I asked him, what was the last thing that God told you to do? Every situation that's presented to you is not a God-given situation. Here it is. Naomi has presented Ruth with the opportunity to turn away and go back. It sounded good. Go back, find you another man, everything is going to be all right. But the truth of the matter is what God had promised for Ruth was waiting in Naomi's homeland. In order for Ruth to get her Boaz, she had to to silence the noise that was going on around us. Can I get us to a point where we understand that we have to silence the noise? Some of our marriages are falling around because we have a bunch of noise that's going on and we're listening to it. She ain't the right one for you. You could do better than her. Some of us are are leaving churches and, and our hearts are being broken because of the fact that we're listening to all the noise instead of listening to the voice of God. Noise is nothing but confusion caused that, that the enemy has sent your way to attempt to distract you from what God has called you to do. I want you to understand something. What makes it a struggle to live for God is every time you walk down the path that God is trying to ask you to walk down, the enemy has found a way to put a roadblock in the way. And we have to get to a point where we understand that just because there's a roadblock there doesn't mean I have to turn around. I don't move off this road until God tells me to move. And if God wants to put a detour, then I'll take the detour. But one thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to walk 10 steps for God and take 20 steps back. That's not what I'm going to do. Ruth says to Naomi, stop arguing with me. Don't urge me. Don't ask me no more. I'm going with you. She is committed to her. Why? Because she has a personal conviction. 
Before I can ever expect anybody to be committed to the church, I need to make sure that, that you understand if you're going to be committed to the light, you, number one, have to be committed and connected to God. And as a result of you being committed and connected to God, then God has strategically sent you here, and he will allow me and you, you and my wife, to somehow connect. You can't be, I want to make sure that y'all understand this. I know we, we're a young church, we're a growing church, but you can't say that you love the pastor and you don't like the first lady. I, 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 come, can, can I get you? It just don't work like that. It doesn't work like that. We're a unit. You can't like me and not like her. You can't like her and not like me. I feel more comfortable just talking to the past. Listen, that's some noise. We have to get to a point where we understand if we're going to do what God is asking us to do, we have to do it completely. We have to be sold out about it. You have to connect to God first, and then, then you can connect with the leadership of your local ministry, the leadership within your family. You can connect with the leadership, but if you don't connect with God, you can't connect with nobody else. Because as long as you're not in sync with God, then you can't determine if, if who you're connecting to here is who God wants you to connect with. You can't determine that. So we're connected. We're committed. We're willing to connect. We're willing to commit. And I want to show you with you the last principle, and we'll get out of here on today. You have to be willing to contribute. You can't say that you connected to something and you committed to something and you're not willing to put in on this. You have to be willing to contribute. I want you to look at something with me. I'm going to read the last three, four verses of this text. Go with me to verse 19. Verse 19. And I want you to study this text when you get a chance on your own because I don't want you to always take my word for it. I need you to understand that you have eyes to see, ears to hear, and mouths uh, to speak the truth as well. The more you understand the word of God, then the more you can share the word of God. Verse 19, Ruth chapter 1. It says, after Ruth has went off on her tandem and said, I'm not going, so stop asking me. The Bible says in verse 19, so they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. So that means they were, everybody was making noise, ruckus, because they seen them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Y'all know how the messy women is. Is this Naomi? Verse 20 says, she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Myra, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. In the, in the Greek text, I mean in the Hebrew text, Myra meant bitter. So in other words, she was saying that I left blessed, but I've returned bitter. And she says, don't call me blessed anymore. Call me bitter because the Lord has taken my husband away from me. The Lord has taken my sons away from me. I don't have anything anymore. So stop calling me. Naomi, and call me Myra. Verse, verse 21 goes on to say, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you witness against me? And the Almighty has afflicted me. Verse 22. So Naomi returned, and with her, Ruth the Moabite, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. I want to make sure that you understand what's happening here. Naomi has just ran into some of her high school friends. They say, girl, you don't look like you used to look. They, they whispering. They talking. And what happens is Naomi ain't got time for their mess. 
Naomi says, listen, keep my name out your mouth. Matter of fact, don't even call me by that name anymore. Call me Myra. I'm not the same person that I used to be. I'm somebody different now. And she says, God has dealt bitterly with me. I have nothing to give. I have nothing to offer. The Bible says she walks away, but I want, to, I want you to make sure that you understand what happens next. She walks away, but Ruth walks with her. She has nothing to give, nothing to offer. She's bitter. She's miserable. She's not happy. She walks away, but Ruth walks with her. It takes a person to truly be connected. It takes a person to truly be committed to be willing to contribute. So many of us want to connect and commit to something that can give to us now. But we're not willing to connect and commit to something that needs us to contribute now. That needs us to pour into it instead of it pouring into you. Can I, can I get an amen on that? Can I get you to understand? So many of us want to marry, want to meet somebody that already got it all together. But what about the person that God is trying to send you because he knows you're strong enough that you can pour into them and help them get it together? Let me help you understand something. Some of us run from work. This is what could have happened in the text right there. Ruth could have ran from work. You know why it's so hard to get people to connect with a plant church? Because a plant church is not already made. It takes work. Every morning, me and Mike get here about 8 o'clock in the morning. We're setting up and we're breaking down. It takes work. We have to pack up stuff. Nobody really wants to be a part. You know how, we, you remember when we were in Oak Cliff? It wasn't, it wasn't no problem to have people walk through the door. Everything was ready-made. The lights, the cameras, the, the stage, the, the signs, everything was there. They were coming to something that was already made. And there is going to be a time where people are going to come to something that already made. But guess what? Barley season, according to the text, was not the time. Why? Because we know that the Bible moves on to say what? The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Not everybody is strong enough to put in the work. Not everybody is strong enough to get their hands dirty. This is why when you say that I want to be serious about my sacrifice, you have to be willing to say, you know what, I'm, I'm serious about getting my hands dirty. I'm not here for the show. Whatever I'm a part of, I'm, I'm, I'm real about this. If you're going to be serious about the sacrifice that you make for your marriage, be willing to get your hands dirty. You can't be sitting back waiting for them to get it together. Do your part and help them get it together. If you're going to be serious about raising your children, be willing to get your hands dirty. You can't ask your children to make straight A's if you're not willing to study with them. You have to be willing to get your hands dirty. You have to be invested and involved in whatever it is that you're saying that you're serious about. Because in order to reach success, you have to first be serious. I could talk all day about how I want to lose weight. But if I don't stop picking up a steak and pick up a salad, or if I don't find myself in a gym instead of a restaurant, it's not going to happen. Why? Because I do not want to get my hands dirty. All of us want to have this attitude that God is just going to drop it on us. That God is just going to give it to us. But we're not willing to work for it. In order for Ruth to get Boaz, she had to be willing to understand the woman that I'm with has nothing to offer me, but I have everything to offer 
her. I have everything to offer her. This is why the text goes on in chapter 2. She works in the field. She gleans in the field. She, gets, she finds favor in Boaz. Chapter 3, Boaz and her go on their first date. Chapter 4, her and Boaz get married. And, and life goes on after that. It has to happen. But it all began with the fact that she was willing to make a sacrifice. She didn't even know about Boaz in chapter 1. All she knew that, that God has a plan for me. And it involves you, and as a result of it, I'm going to be connected, committed, and I'm willing to contribute to you. If God has a plan for your life, if God has placed you with this ministry, if God has a plan for your marriage, if God has a plan for you and the children that are in your life, you got to quit being willing to give up so fast. You got to get to a point where you're saying, you know what, I'm willing to make the sacrifice that God has asked me to make because I know without a shadow of a doubt that if I do it God's way, Something good is going to become of it. Something is going to happen, but you have to be willing to connect. You have to be willing to commit, and you have to be willing to contribute. This is the process. This is the process that leads to the promise. This is the ingredients to the cake. We all want to be successful, but we all don't want to go through the process of what it requires for us to be successful. My goal, my hope, my prayer today was that I was able to educate you on the process so that you can better evaluate yourself when you're saying that you're sacrificing. Am I truly connected? Am I truly committed? Am I truly contributing to whatever it is that God has asked me to do? Not just this church. I want to make sure that you understand that. I need you to do this in your life, on your jobs, in your marriage with your children, because if your life ain't right, then what good do you do to this church? I understand what the church does for you, but when you leave here, you're supposed to be a living, walking example of whatever it is that you've learned. And if you're not applying this in your day-to-day -day life, what good are you to the church? What good are you to the, to the kingdom? We're challenged, our name, our vision that God has given us to be the light Christian fellowship church is for us to be the light of the world, which means where there's darkness, we provide visibility. The darkness doesn't change us. We change the darkness. And in order to do that, you have to be put in a place where you understand that I'm willing to sacrifice whatever I have to sacrifice so that God can use me in the manner that he's required me to use me. He's not asking you to be perfect. But he is asking you to remain connected. He is asking you to remain committed. And he is asking you to contribute. And we don't believe anything else. God has not ever asked us to do anything that he wasn't doing himself. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he is connected. That he gave his only begotten son, he is committed. That whosoever believeth in him shall have everlasting life. He has contributed. He's willing to connect with us. He's willing to commit to us, and then he contributes. He gives us back what we gave away. We're simply following the same outline that God has already used for us. And if you're telling me it's good enough for God, but not good enough for you, I got one thing to tell you. My daddy used to say it all the time. If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you.